nothing particularly significant or important. It wasn't uh, terribly dramatic. That boy needs therapy. That boy needs therapy. Lying down on the couch. That's crazy when we've got effective interventions at our disposal. What does that mean? Artifact sizes, empirical questions answered left and right. A lot of psychedelics became A lot of the psychedelics became illegal. Transcranial magnetic stimulation. Life is rubbish. For all of us. Welcome to the show. The Frontier Psychiatrist. Let's go. That boy needs therapy. That boy needs therapy. All that's going on here is that these people do not have a language for talking about their thoughts and their feelings. And as soon as they start talking about their thoughts and their feelings, they don't have to do crazy things. They don't have to do crazy things. Welcome to the Frontier Psychiatrists podcast. This episode is going to feature information about transcranial magnetic stimulation, and a lot of it coming from the annual Clinical TMS Society conference, which Carlene and I flew down to. These are stars. Lots too bad. They don't have anything tweeted today. You should probably tweet things when you have a conference. Uh, that's a whole job, social media. And as important as transcranial magnetic stimulation is as a modality, it's got the same level of zazz as the uh, here's how to put on your life your jacket. Seat. When directed, pull the tab to retrieve the pouch. If there is a strap, remove it from around the pouch, tear the pouch open, remove and unfold the vest. Slip it over your head. And keep in mind, while we're all trying not to fall asleep or lose our minds with those announcements, this is a technology that can literally keep you alive if you're drowning. And yet, it's pretty boring. I mean, that's good. I'm glad you're excited to go. Well, because, like, these online fucking conferences are not good. I, I hate them. Well, there's the all the... The only purpose of going to conferences is to socialize. C is to socialize. Yeah, this is the C board. The te- oh, sorry, uh, United. 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 Yeah, United. United, right? Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, I mean, like, if you're if you're not going to see people, you might as well be on Clubhouse. What? You might as well be on Clubhouse, and it's, like, less like that. Well, with Clubhouse is easy. As Douglas Adams once had it, there can be little surprise that no language on earth has ever come up with the expression as pretty as an airport. That having been said, let's get to a recap of the conference. Months ago, the FDA cleared one of the devices um, that it was made by Brainsway, um, this specific helmet uh, called the H4 helmet, for actually smoking cessation treatment. Um, but part of that treatment is that you have to have smoking cues, pictures of people smoking, videos of people smoking. Um, and I think they did present data at the, at the study, at the uh, conference, that if you didn't have those smoking cues, you really weren't going to get the results. Um, so that, I think, was a very fascinating kind of thing. Um, to highlight that, we have a treatment which involves no medication whatsoever and just stimulating your brain while you're thinking about specific stuff for smoking, which kills more patients with psychiatric illness than almost anything. It's bad, and now we've got a thing for it, and that's pretty exciting. For years, electroconvulsive therapy, 
or ECT, has been the gold standard for treatment-resistant depression, and the data on its refinement was exciting. Uh, electroconvulsive therapy, um, or otherwise known as shock therapy, right? People see it in one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and it's gotten a really bad rap. And um, one of the things that we oftentimes talk about with TMS is like, oh, it's so much better than ECT. You have all these cognitive side effects, and something depression remission that means depression is over in count them one two three four five days that's what the research out of stanford is showing in a randomized controlled trial with patients with on average 13 failed medication trials for their depression this is a sea change to us because actually in our practice that's what we've been doing um, for quite some time um, kind of in collaboration with Nolan and kind of coming to similar conclusions so we've been doing these accelerated protocols for folks and so um, he really was in the spotlight at the conference presenting this to a wider audience um, and it, it's very exciting to see the biggest question with that was how long does it last um, and I think we have some data around that and others have some data and so it really was motivating to me to I think as a clinician you know we can get bogged down in day-to-day -day practice but it was really you know it's really important particularly in this new field for us to all kind of share our share our data one of the things I enjoy as a scientist is giving concise answers to long questions this question was about the safety of TMS when people have implanted devices like pacemakers so the answer is yes and one of the nice things about uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation is magnetism like follows the laws of physics and so anything that's further than a couple of centimeters away from the magnet is going to get effectively no magnetic field so anything you have even like earring level or lower uh, won't have any impact to it at all the next question was about whether the devices we were discussing were the absurd-looking helmets similar to those found in the classic movie Spaceballs? The answer to this is, unfortunately, also yes. 
Yes, yes. So, so I think that's the thing is it's not very glamorous. We talk, we talk a lot in, in Clubhouse about psychedelics, which involve neuroplasticity and changing the brain, um, and those uh, have a just a sort of innate appeal. Um, unfortunately, TMS does not have that same uh, face value appeal. Yes, they look. I, I actually think they, the deep TMS helmets look more like the old-fashioned um, like hair salon, like your grandma going to the hair salon kind of thing. Um, and then there's also the non-deep TMS. There's something called like a figure eight coil. It looks kind of just like a weird, like, you know, eight-shaped paddle. Um, but yes, they, they are kind of weird uh, helmets. And Brainsway has a number of different helmets. Each one, the coil is distributed slightly differently to target kind of different parts of the brain. Um, this is, I think, one PGR of the... One people. PDR. Oh, oh yes, there it is, full full glory. Owen's uh, Owen's image uh, is the was one of the helmets there. Um, and I think that's one of the things is like when we talk about TMS, it's a tool, and actually the treatment is the protocol. Um, one of the speakers really heavily emphasized that principle. And so when we say, does TMS work for X thing? That's not really a good question. That's more like, do we have the right protocol? Do we have the right target? Um, and I think the study of PTSD where they picked the wrong target uh, is a good example of that. Um, so I think we sometimes think of it all as this one thing, and it really is just so many different things. It would be like saying, do psych drugs work for things, right? Well, there's many different psych drugs. There's sort of many different flavors, and I think the same is true of, of TMS. Um, so to recap, for transcranial magnetic stimulation, it is the protocol that is the treatment not the device itself. It's like saying, do pills work? Well, it depends what's in the pill. Back to the programming. Um, yeah, so I was kind of curious actually about that uh, PTSD study um, because I know that like previously it had been kind of indicated that, that TMS uh, was effective for PTSD. And I'm wondering like, was this like showing that like, was this uh, disagreeing with previous research or was this investigating something slightly different? I'm just kind of curious about that. Thank you, employee number three, Julia. To catch everyone up, data was presented at the conference about a study using the dorsomedial stimulation that was facilitatory, aka sped up neuronal firing, in the middle of the front of your head while people were being given a script which was an exposure to their trauma. Now, we know exposure therapy works, and so there was a sham TMS group where the TMS didn't do anything, but they were reading the exposure script, and there was an active group where they got transcranial magnetic stimulation to the front of their head, plus being exposed to the script. And the rather shocking finding was people who got the active transcranial magnetic stimulation in this way did less well than people who got the fake version that didn't impact their brain at all. So the people who got exposure to the script and transcranial magnetic stimulation got statistically significantly less better than people who didn't get any stimulation at all. So the, the work we worked based on previously was using the H1 coil, which targets the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, and we positioned it in just such a way. This study was done with the H7 coil, which has different targeting. And so it turns out that doing the very same exposure protocol, targeting two different parts of the brain, with two different protocols has the opposite effect. Gotcha. That's fascinating. Thank you. 
in fairness, everyone in the study got better, right? Exposure therapy for PTSD works for most people most of the time. And so everyone in the study got better. And until it was unblinded, they actually didn't know which group did better than the other. And that's why randomized blinded research matters so much because we could have just blindly gone along treating people all day long with a thing that everyone got better with, but we wouldn't have known how much better they could have gotten had we not done the thing the wrong way. Right. And I don't, I don't really fully understand. Oh, maybe you know more because you, you know Dr. Tendler well, but like when they did this sort of pilot study for PTSD, they used this H1, they used a different location. Yeah. And then when they went on to do the full study, they changed locations. Um, and I think they were doing that based on like theory, but do you know anything more about why they changed locations in that way? You know, I, I don't. I think um, yeah, there, there are a bunch of reasons that are boring. Um, the uh, Probably having to do with patent length and that sort of thing. Um, and also like biological plausibility. Um, the H7 coil is a marvel of engineering and it targets 75 cubic centimeters of neurons at once which is basically like the whole prefrontal cortex. The H7 coil, similarly majestic, but 17 cubic centimeters of neurons, which is less. And it's a hell of a lot more than the one cubic centimeter of neurons a figure eight coil could target. And so it turns out that targeting and pattern of stimulation matters a heck of a lot. And we're really playing with the brain's ability to connect to itself in ways that we might not have anticipated. of psychiatry and psychology working together in these transcranial magnetic stimulation settings. Uh, so what we do is actually combine all of those things because you need to. If, you know, what you heard from us, and, you know, I think maybe the, the title of this room could, maybe we should just jazz it up, like, depression is cured. Um, but, <laughs> psychiatrists. Um, but um, what you heard is this treatment for, uh, for OCD, for example, right, or PTSD, there's actually psychologists designing the things you're saying and hearing during the treatment. You're designing that actively with, our, with psychologists, with therapists, etc., and they're being delivered in a way that matters because that's part of the active treatment is the psychological part. The physicians are determining what we stimulate your brain with in real time while that's happening. And so, at least in our group, it's a very collaborative effort. And like I, I'm a doctor who does TMS treatment. I literally couldn't treat someone's OCD without the collaboration of my psychologist because I have no idea how they do it at this point. It's so complicated. Next up, a question from our esteemed colleague, Dr. Kat Jung. Um, so, yeah, and I wanted to also welcome um, Kat Jung to, to the stage. Kat, I know you're a wonderful psychiatrist in your own right, and uh, welcome. Thanks for joining. Any thoughts or questions Thanks, for us? Thanks, Carlene. About... Um, yeah, I, I was just curious, um, you know, I haven't done 
the TMS or ECT since I was their resident um, when I did a rotation in that. And, um, you know, at that time, I did see people get a lot better with ECT, but I did also see people, you know, have the short-term memory loss that I think people are so afraid of. And, um, you know, just in terms of those other protocols, I was curious, you were commenting that some people were presenting some of their data on sort of different protocols. And I would, I would love to hear a little bit more about that and then kind of what you think is like the speed of adoption for these the rapid protocols for TMS like how soon can our patients start getting it um yeah I was just trying to follow after I I speak I'll let Owen speak and I'll I'll put up the picture of the graph about the ECT stuff so I don't we don't do ECT so I don't want to speak too much in detail um but these sort of ultra brief unilateral um protocols I think are done at a lot of the academic centers um but the gentleman that was speaking he's from Columbia University um you know he was saying there's they're still seeing a lot of people using more like bilateral profile uh, um, bilateral protocols or longer protocols um and he was mentioning that basically it's taken like 60 years of debate in the field about whether or not unilateral or bilateral ECT is uh better um this debate was happening too regarding TMS. Um, I remember two years ago at this meeting, this debate was happening, um, and his hope for us as a field was that it doesn't take us 60 years to sort of answer that question. Um, but his point was definitively that really this bilateral ECT for the vast majority of people um, seemed to be more trouble than it's worth, and the side effect profile wasn't great. So, um, and I was just very surprised to see that these really more ultra-brief protocols were, um, you know, potentially, like, really not causing a ton of cognitive impact because a lot of folks that I've seen had ECT have had pretty significant memory problems. Um, The same person... However, in contrast to the possibility of cognitive impairment with electroconvulsive therapy, accelerated intermittent theta burst stimulation, uh, a la the Stanford group, does the opposite. And I'll let Carlene say a little bit more. Uh, Dr. Nolan Williams out of Stanford has developed this accelerated protocol where you basically get 50 treatments in the course of a week, whereas regular TMS for depression um, could take, you know, six to eight weeks, and it's like once a day. And so this this is an accelerated protocol that we're doing in our our clinic. Um, There are a number of clinics around the country that are doing this, Um, but and I mean I think compared to just two years ago, like very few doing it two years ago and this year it was kind of like when you're talking to the attendees like are you doing the accelerated one are you doing it and like yeah i've done a few and um i think there's definitely a lot more interest uh dr williams did note in his talk that um you know it is not that is not an fda approved protocol but to be clear the safety data is rather strong and i take a moment discussing that the safety profile of intermittent theta burst stimulation according to the FDA, is a minimal risk procedure. So, like, water in high dosages is more dangerous. And for a minute, compare that to any drug you can think about. There's never been a seizure. The only potential permanent side effect is hearing loss if you don't wear earplugs. It causes no permanent changes in brain functioning. So needless to say, we're excited for what this treatment looks like as we replicate the findings in Dr. Williams' lab and get it from the lab into common clinical practice. That's news that should get out. 
um, and also the ability to get that to scale is limited dramatically by the financial models we have. And so there are a couple realities kind of hemming this advance in, but like shouted from the rooftops is what I would say, not do it, do it recklessly, not. I mean, do things recklessly is probably not advice I would give. Thanks for joining us for this recap of the Clinical TMS Society annual meeting and the developments that came from there. We had negative data presented on transcranial magnetic stimulation using a certain pattern in post-traumatic stress disorder, which is a biologically active thing that doesn't beat sham. That's just wild. Uh, We have accelerated transcranial magnetic stimulation getting depression that's really difficult to remission in five days in 80% of the cases. And of course, we have transcranial magnetic stimulation for smoking cessation as our big headlines. Thanks for joining us. And I look forward to seeing you on Clubhouse. I've been your host, Dr. Owen Muir. And for Dr. Carlene McMillan, we are the Frontier Psychiatrist. Rubbish, you know, for all of us, for all of us, for all of us.